Það er komið að einna móti markmanni, stundum finnst þetta fútbol gaman að fara aðeins út fyrir já, svona þetta daglega þrass og fara aðeins í aðrar áttir til minni mættur Chris Brussell, þjálfari Gróttu. Chris er á margarnátt merkilegur náungi því að hann er ungur útlenskur þjálfari því að í íslensku fótbolta er til dæmis engin erlendu þjálfari í efstu deild Chris hefur verið að þjálfa hjá Norvits og er búin að vera hjá Gróttu núna í þrjú ár uh, eitthvað móti markmanni að sjálfsögðu uh, með sjóvá nokkó og uh, svo auðvitað vinum mínum í slipfélaginu Chris, I was giving a little introduction about you um, what, you know, you're only 31 years old yeah, 31, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, so what's your experience? Like, uh, you come through the. Were you a player yourself, or or how was it? Uh, I think I was a really, really bad football player. So yeah. uh, I can't uh, claim to even be the guy who got injured or or wanted <laughs> to be a professional and uh, didn't quite make it because of this or that. I think I just uh, I didn't even have that dream. I just uh, maybe I looked in the mirror and realized I wasn't good enough pretty quickly. Um, but just like most people uh, listening or like yourself, just love football. Yeah. Um, love football, uh, loved everything about it, loved being a fan, was a fan from a really young age, played football at school and with my mates. Um, my dad's coached uh, a fairly decent level in, in, in England through schools, which at the time was the main way that coaches um, came into the game through being teachers. And uh, once I got to 18, 19, 20, I think I just had a hunger for uh, for the idea of being a being a football coach. And Are you from East Anglia, the, this Norwich area? Yeah, yeah, I come, yeah. come from Norwich, so I wouldn't say it's uh, maybe a hotbed of football, but it's uh, it's got a football team and it's got a team to support, and um, yeah, I grew up there. It's it's a quite isolated place, uh, East Anglia. You know, it's uh, you know teams sometimes come complain about the traveling there and, and so on yeah yeah to be fair it's made living in in iceland seem a little bit easier it's, it's actually given me quite a good lens to look at icelandic football through to be honest because uh, the populations are similar yeah um so when people talk about good or bad about icelandic football i always kind of use my reference of, of norwich being a small iceland and yeah uh, and compare the two but yeah it was a uh, it's not the worst place to live in the world uh, but maybe it's not the most exciting either all right. Uh, you were, you spent a few years uh, working at the uh, Norwich Academy. Uh, Norwich is not a. I wouldn't say it's a popular club in Iceland because you tend to come up straight back down. Temu Puki scores twelve goals. Back up. Not Temu even Puki that many. is back. Not even that many anymore. <laughs> but you know, uh, at Norwich, uh, you know where you've studied uh, a lot and and done done most of your you know coaching until you came up here. Um, you know, did you uh, coach some players that we should be should know of? Uh, well, I, I coached some, I think, players who are now starting to come through. So, um, uh, as we spoke about earlier, I, uh, probably my first connection to Iceland was through Norwich, just coaching uh, Christian Linson. Uh, his brother was there, so um, can't claim to be the, the man behind Christian's development, certainly, but I just was lucky enough to coach him for a few years while he was there at the age of 13 and 14 with his brother. Mm. Um, and, of course, just being in the club for four years, or just over four years, I, I was fortunate enough just to see a lot of good young players at the time many were coming through Max Ahrens Todd Cantwell Ben Godfrey mm-hmm. uh, James Madison these players so uh, I definitely had nothing to do with them coming through or anything like that but I was lucky enough at least just to be able to watch them from afar mm-hmm. uh, sometimes a little bit up close and, and see their rise from young players to Premier League players About Christian Linsen because um, I, I, I claim this title of being called Doctor Football but however I only see him like 
you know, sometimes for the under 19s, under 21s, or something like that. So I, I, I've never seen him on a consistent base. How good is he? Uh, I don't think that's my place to say, to be honest with you. I'm <laughs> going to say really good because he, he must be to, to now be playing in Ajax and, and doing the things he's doing. Whenever I see a video of him, it's always a positive one. So, um, yeah, he's obviously a, a great player now. And um, But I, it's definitely not my place to critique his game. But he definitely was someone I learned from just because at the age of 13 or 14, I would say he... Um, I'd never have said that he would have been the player he is now, which definitely isn't his fault. It's, it's probably more mine. And... Um, I think uh, he taught me quite a lot, actually, just as a, an individual case uh, about how you maybe shouldn't judge things too quickly or judge them. So by you the weren't convinced about him at all when you saw him at thirteen, fourteen. It wasn't about being convinced, I suppose. Also, it's strange how he came in. He just came to Norwich as a not like we scouted him or recruited him. His brother was there, so yeah. first of all, he just came into my team basically as a guy who, oh, can he train with you because his brother's here, which is. <laughs> To be honest with you, that's always a terrible thing to hear because you get some of those questions often and uh, yeah. you can imagine the standard of some brothers sometimes. Uh, this one happened to be very good. Um, but still, he was... Um, to be honest, he's, as he looks now, he, he's physically underdeveloped. He looks very young. Yeah, uh, I could at least uh, understand how he felt. I look about 15 and he looked about nine when he was playing. Yeah, um, And yeah, he didn't look like he should be a, a good football player. Um, especially in the English system, which is very physical. Yeah. But he had uh, what he did have was a, a football brain, a love for football, and great technical quality. And um, those three things, plus a little bit of growing along the way, have, uh, have taken him to the top. So he pretty much came there as a plus one. You know, you, you know, hey, we were signing his brother, but can you please have a look at the, it's the not, kit? Not a bad plus one. Hey, if you, <laughs> <laughs> if you took those to a party regularly, you'd be uh, you'd be everyone's number one fan. Yeah, um, did you have, uh, you know, Isak was there as well. He was obviously very different to, to him because he was very developed, uh, you know, physically mm-hmm. as, a, as a young man. So you, you would think the English game would have suited him quite well. Yeah, Isak was there. Uh, obviously, August uh, Atlee as well. I uh, hope I'm not missing anyone. There was mm. probably a few players that came over on trial during that period. Uh, some guys I've even coached since have claimed to me that they went to Norwich on a trial in that period and that they saw me, but I still I still don't believe it. Um, but yeah, Isaac was, uh, of course, did fantastically last year for Breblick, got a great move to Rosenborg. Um, I think he just struggled a little bit, maybe in the in the system that at first he looked so good mm-hmm. uh, and had so much, much promise. Uh, and maybe he just found it difficult because he was never able to really find his position in the team. He played pretty much everywhere and anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think last year was the first time where he had a really clear role. Uh, maybe also in year he had the same. Uh, shouldn't uh, forget that. But in the last two years, he's had clear roles in a team. Um, and he's just been expected to do what's expected of that role. And I think that's allowed him to flourish rather than worrying about am I a number nine, a number eight, a number seven, yeah, number I, 11 or whatever. I can understand the uh, English becoming, you know, liking... A person like a player like Isaac because he has these physical attributes and so on. So, uh, but but the, you know how the English game is in a way changing more technical, more you know, it's changed a little bit mm. uh, towards a more technical players. I mean, you, you you look at the most exciting talents today. You know, many of them are English. I mean, Jamal Musiala is kind of English. Mm-hmm. Probably going to win the Ballon d'Or one day, but but you know uh, the. You know, the way you pick players these days in England, hasn't it changed a little bit? Yeah, I think both how we pick or how we, uh, maybe how they know, maybe I'm a little bit more Icelandic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how, how the English system uh, picks players is both bad and good. I wouldn't say it's perfect. 
I think some of the things that Iceland does really well, England could definitely learn from. Tell me one thing that we are doing well that they could learn from. Uh, f- first thing is just to provide football for all, yeah. both boys, girls, men, women, and provide it consistently throughout from the age of seven upwards uh, to when they're 40, 50 or 60. I think mm. uh, England doesn't do that so well. It looks for the gold, it mines it, uh, and it chases it quickly. And if you haven't got the attributes that look like you might hit gold, um, your football provision is is drastically recre- decreased, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe Iceland doesn't have the uh, five-star resorts that England has, the Disneylands, mm-hmm. in terms of Tottenham, Manchester City, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, United. Yeah, so sorry, sorry. My, my <laughs> bad, my bad. I should it well, maybe after yesterday I can't include them, I don't know. All right. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll include them just for you. Um, but yeah, I think what it does have is it has, uh, it doesn't drop anywhere to one star. But there's, there's this one thing about like, we've sent so many players to Norwich, like you named a few of them, but none of them have ever made an appearance for the club. Mm. And there's this constant discussion in Iceland within Icelandic coaches and with Icelandic, um, you know, of all of us who are interested in, in in football, about should we be sending our players to uh, this professional environment at the age of 16, 17, 18? Do you have any uh, views on that? I mean, you think like, you know, we they should stay a little longer here or should they go earlier out or... Or what? What would be the the perfect, perfect thing to do? That's probably a bad answer because you probably want me to say like one or the other. But I think it. I think you, we even chatted before this, and we said about it being the really dependent on the individual. I think it is. Yeah, uh, there is a dependent on the individual. I think some people, for example, they need to go and um, say, for example, you were physically really, really good at fifteen, sixteen here. Maybe you need that seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old training that you get in a professional environment in England day in day out or England or wherever that may be um, the others I think is a little bit different I think you've got to make sure that if you're going to go you're going to play mm-hmm. I think that's key and what uh, terms are you going on are you going as a youth player are you going as a professional player and mm. I think that's actually a balance that a lot of Icelanders find hard they start here as a and they go into their teams at a young age 16, 17, 18 and they're first team players whatever the level they're first team players Yeah. they then go to another country and suddenly they find it very difficult to cope with the fact that actually they're back almost to square one again mm-hmm. um, and I think that's something that uh, is difficult for many to deal with and understandably too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's all about choices and and you know, especially with like August Lindstrom. I remember him was when he was like 15, 16, popping up at Breidablik, and I thought he was a wonderful player, and I was really hoping he would do well. But if you look, he picked Snowwich, mm-hmm. and that, you know, there were a couple of clubs interested in him. He, he had, you know, he could he could pick and choose. You know, since then he's been popping up at, uh, you know, in Brunby and then to Vikingur and then to Horsens and then to FV and then to Valur and now to Breidablik. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, making the right decisions is also probably, you know, would you recommend to any Icelandic 16, 17-year-old to go, to, who is very promising, to go to Norwich? Depends how much they rate you, I think. I yeah. think if you if you know for 100% you're going to be one of their top three, four, five talents. They're investing a lot in you. And that means that they're going to then give you an opportunity to play in the first team. Yeah, Let's not get away from it. Most of it's money. If a team puts a lot of money into you and a lot of investment into you, yeah. they almost certainly are going to try and follow that through because they need to. But if they just say, oh, he's quite a nice player. I really want to make him part of our under-23s team. Yeah, I would be wary about that because I think that um, as soon as you're kind of the runt of the litter, as we say in English, 
you know the bottom of the yeah. pile yeah I, I think that's where you can you can find things difficult so i would only recommend it to someone if they're 100 percent convinced that the club that's looking at them are, are very very interested in them as a, a first team player now or in the future so you think that uh, sometimes the icelandic footballers uh, go to top uh, like these english teams pretty much making the numbers Yeah, I think most people do. I don't yeah. think it's just Icelanders. I think it's even the the English kids or the wherever, whatever country. Yeah. The reality of it is, is that um, in in an academy setting, at least, is whether it's right or wrong, you're tending to focus on two, three, four of the most promising players because the reality is one of them probably is going to make it if if any any do. So you still need a team. You still yeah. need to play fifteen, sixteen, seventeen players on on the weekends to make up those games. So part of the The system is making up the numbers, and yeah. Um, yeah, as I say, that's not unique to Icelanders particularly. Uh, that's just uh, that's just the reality of what's there and, and how the systems run. However, of course, for Icelanders, that's very difficult because what you're doing is making a move abroad, which for you is a huge moment. Yeah. And of course, you don't do that just to be uh, one of 15. You do it to be the man or or the woman. And um, if you're not, I think that's hard to deal with. Yeah, so that's a that's a great point. And uh, yeah, we have all these players. We have this new destination these days called uh, yeah called well in Italy. Uh, we've had so many players go. You know, never in my wildest dreams did I think about Italians wanting Icelandic teenagers uh, back in the 90s when the Italian game was number one. You know, you you've worked in in a, in a you know uh, academy that has produced players like James Madison and. And all those players you spoke about earlier on. What's the difference, um, you know, how they work at the age of 16, 17, 18? Because this is the age where I am starting to really doubt what we are doing here in Iceland. Mm -hmm. um, because I think we are world class at, you know, under 12s. I would like to bring any foreign team down to Akureyri and play us there in the youth, in the uh, children setup mm -hmm. there. I'm I'm telling you we're we're beating all of them. Hey, no one can deal with the flight. Uh, they they can't deal with that flight <laughs> and the landing. Even Chelsea can't. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So I mean, no, no. I mean, I, we're really good at the under 12s shows, and then we go over to the big goals and the big big uh, big size stadiums uh, uh, pitches. You know, what's the difference between how how we do it in a professional academy compared to how a normal underflocker under 19s does it in Iceland? Uh, How much do they train, 16, 17, at these academies? Firstly, I don't think it's about the quantity of training. All right. I think, if anything here, I've sometimes uh, I've been surprised how much people do, mm -hmm. especially at the ages of 14, 15, 16. Um, maybe that's where you ha have the benefit in a slightly more professional environment of more expertise in terms of a, uh, a boy or a girl is going through their growth spurt and actually to train them too much during that period is dangerous and I think what you see actually at the moment is there's quite a few ACL injuries in this now 18, 19, 20 years old bracket and that can come from overtraining during those ages so right. I don't think it's about quantity I think it's just about um, I think it's about a few things um, I think firstly you've got the fact that um, in in Iceland you're looking at again small population size so mm. naturally as you get older the the numbers reveal themselves we just spoke about one in 15 in that kind of squad maybe even getting near a first team in yeah. a professional environment um, if we look at Norwich for example it's around 300,000 350,000 population um, in one age group in that 350,000 you might get <laughs> one person yeah. so but when we then look at Iceland and we're like okay wow there's no no players 15, 16, 17 they're struggling they're going downhill 
well, to be fair to uh, to everyone in Iceland, that's not something that um, they should fret about too much because that's happening everywhere else. At least in at least in Norwich, I can tell you, and Norfolk. So, um, I think firstly, some of it is natural, and yeah. we just have to we have to live with that. However, of course, I think there there are things that um, can always be done better. And what can improved. we do better? Uh, I think one is uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves or or yourselves. I yeah. don't know which one I should say. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> can I say ourselves? Yeah, so. you can feel fr- feel free to criticize because you know nobody is going to say it like this is this uh, un you know you know this unhappy foreigner in Iceland speaking yeah, about I need Iceland. My citizenship, so yeah, 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 you're please. gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> give it to you, but but please be critical of what we're doing here. Sure, sure. Um, I, th- I think, as I say, I think some of it is to do with w- with the with what we focus on in those mm. ages. Uh, I think, I think first and foremost, what you've got to consider is that in in the UK, I can only speak for the UK and Germany, where I've had experience, is that what they're looking to create or help um, develop is different to what we're trying to do here. Here, I don't hear anyone talk about we're trying to develop a Premier League player. Mm or we're trying to develop a Bundesliga player, and rightly so, by the way, because uh, th- that isn't our uh, domestic league. Mm-hmm. But in the UK, due to the the way the system has now been, I would say, uh, built up, it's quite clear that the idea is to aim for Premier League standards. Again, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not saying uh, there's yeah. negatives to that too, in terms of how people are treated. But what it does mean is that uh, the bar is set incredibly high in terms mm. of what you're trying to develop in young football players, both male and female. Here, maybe our bar naturally isn't set as high yeah. uh, because in many ways for most clubs, that success equals playing in the first team. And that first team is only either in the Icelandic top division, division below or the division below that in both men and women. So I think that that, obviously has good things. It means we've got an achievable goal and one that loads of people in Iceland are doing a great job at achieving. Mm-hmm. But what it does mean is is that sometimes then we fall short in uh, developing the skills that might be required to take that person to the next level. Uh, I think the challenge comes in that sometimes when you do that, if you want to develop those skills, you might actually hold them back in the short term in going to the level that you want them to go to in the, very quickly, i.e. your first team. Uh, for example, I think you see here a lot of focus on tactics, a lot of focus on large field play at quite a young age. Mm. You have a very competitive league system in the young age groups from yeah. uh, fifth flocker upwards. I think really it gets quite competitive. That, of course, has great benefits, but it also has some uh, negatives and differences to compare to what I'm used to, which is, I think, developing skill, developing individual ability, um, developing really, really top skills even at the age of 16, 17, 18 and 19, rather than just developing someone to win a football game yeah. as early as possible. So you think we're too result-driven from uh, young age? Uh, yes, I think so. All right. The The interesting thing is that you you speak about us not you know, being out there to produce Premier League or Bundesliga players. I mean, the youngest you know, age group that has created a uh, you know, regular Premier League player is now you know, Johan Berg's uh, Johan Gudmundsson at Burnley's uh, mm-hmm. age group. He's born in 1990. He's 33 uh, this year. Since then, we haven't, you know, produ- to produce the player. You know, we had all these players in the 90s and the in the beginning of this uh, century um, playing in the Premier League, but uh, somehow, uh, you know, the competition is 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 greater to get those places and and so on. A little bit about uh, English coaches. You know, we all have some idea what we think that. 
is an English coach. An English coach is not very cosmopolitan here in Iceland because even though you found the football, you are one of the best in the world in the women's game and the men's game and so on. I mean, we still like to look at the Dutch as the real thinkers of football. We think of English football coaches more like uh, Howard Wilkinson, Sam Allardyce, Alan Pardew, uh, you know, on the on that scale. But you hear about all these different coaches now. Um, we hear about this guy uh, in uh, what's it, Rams? Uh, Will Still is it called? Is it called that right? Yeah, yeah. Will Still, um, Graham Potter. Um, what's his name? Michael Beal at QPR and all these young coaches and. Uh, it's all changed very fast in England. Different coaches uh, emphasize on, on very different things from what they used to do back in the day. You agree with me there? Sorry, uh, I was listening to uh, for yeah. the first time I've heard someone speak well about England. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love this <laughs> and I hear so much like, like the, the, you know, p- people who are going there right now and comparing it to how it was 20 years ago. It's like uh, night and day, the difference mm-hmm. uh, of the quality of coaches and the coaching. I think at least there's a difference uh, in the, let's call it elite level of coaching. Yeah. I think in terms of the grassroots, I'm not sure there's, um, there of course is a difference, but that's probably just one, the societal, just society's got better and there's better facilities, et cetera, et cetera, and everything. Yeah. I don't think we still have developed any way near as closely to, to what Iceland has on the grassroots level. But on the elite level, yeah, there's definitely been been huge strides. And I think that comes from um, the Premier League and the FA. There's just been really clear direction in terms of in terms of what they want. Um, there's more full-time jobs. There's just a crazy amount of full-time jobs in football. Yeah. Uh, I think you can be a full-time uh, guy like sweeping the floor and in just the under-14s changing room or something now. There's, yeah. there's that many that many full-time jobs so what it means is when people are doing it as their profession and there's then clear directions in terms of okay we want you to be excellent as a coach in this area this area and this area and if you don't do it you're not going to be there mm. then i think then um, you're always going to have um better coaches or at least um more uh, more skilled ones um and of course that gives you the environment then to thrive i also think it's a pretty hard environment mm. just uh, for me i'm i'm definitely um not someone who was coaching at Norwich as some guru. I was just a young guy learning, uh, going through the age groups. I started with the under nines and worked my way uh, up to under 13s, under 14s, and I kind of did a bit of everything. And I would say that for me, that experience, even though when I when I talk about it today, it might sound really jazzy and really good, it was actually pretty tough. It was a tough environment. Mm. Obviously, I was very young, still am. And there was a lot of very experienced people there and they're doing it for their jobs, for their livelihoods. Mm. Um, and obviously as well, in order to to try and win games at first team level eventually too. So I think what that does is, is again, it's not all positive, but what it does is create a, a really, really high professional culture, mm. uh, both in the football clubs and just in the overall coaching community. Just after watching your teams play uh, last summer in the Lengedetina, I mean, I, I, can, I can say that we don't have an Icelandic... Uh, Brazil, because uh, you are a much better coach than uh, the 30-year-olds we have here in Iceland. There's nobody, uh, we're not developing, uh, you know, if you would tell me, Hjörvar, find me a good young Icelandic coach, 
I wouldn't know where to start. And when I'm talking young, I'm talking under 34, 35 or something like that. I don't think they exist here in Iceland. Is that not just opportunity, though? I mean, I, again, I, you, you could be right and you could be paying me a great compliment. But also as well, I think that uh, I'm in a lucky position where um, Iceland has given me the chance to be a, a football coach um, mm. and coach at a men's level. And, and therefore, I've, I've done some bad things, but I've also hopefully done some, some good things, too. But the main thing was op opportunity. And before that, obviously, I had the opportunity to, again, through good moments and bad, be educated in a in a highly professional environment. Mm. So, again, I'm not definitely not debating with you because you, you maybe know, uh, know more about the, the community than I do. But uh, I'm definitely... Uh, I definitely don't agree that there's no one in this country um, at, at my age or around it who is a skilled coach. I think there might be plenty of them, but it's about bringing those people out and, and giving them the chance to to both fail and succeed. Okay, you've been what we call in Iceland head of coaching, everything mm -hmm. So are uh, young Icelandic coaches willing to listen to a more experienced coach who is teaching them and and trying to get them into the, you know, changing their mindset a little bit and, or, or trying to teach them a little bit? I think some are and, and some aren't. I think that's, <laughs> the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the same everywhere. And yeah. I think that's always the, the thing you're going to struggle with coming from the outside and especially uh, uh, being a little bit younger and um, maybe not having, you know, 50 years experience behind you. Yeah. I think you're always going to struggle with convincing everyone that um, you should they should listen or, and to be fair, maybe they shouldn't. Um, but I think that uh, maybe one thing that we can we can change uh, in Iceland is is our attitude towards each other. Yeah, I think that's something I, I found interesting. Um, is of course we're an island nation um, <laughs> and we're a very small one. Uh, and actually, when you look at it, we've got a huge amount of football teams. I, I was I was talking to you about Norwich before. Yeah. Norwich is three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand. There's one team. Yeah. The the second team in that area, I can tell you that all uh, on men's level at least, and I think the same for women's level. I think all the teams in the top two divisions would beat the second team in Norwich. Yeah. So that's 24 teams in Iceland yeah. would beat the second team in the Norfolk region. Uh, yeah. So when you think of that, it's unbelievable. So yeah. that shows you there must be a lot of decent enough players yeah. and a lot of decent enough coaches. But what I d probably don't think we do is I'm, I'm not sure we work together very well. And of course, I can, I can, you can blame me for that as well. I'm one of those people. You think that Iceland coaches don't work well together? I think we could work better together. Yeah. There's, as I go back to it, there's there's more people in this area than there are in the area where I grew up, mm. who are, are both passionate about football but also very qualified and are, get, are getting good experience and are actually working in football. And of course, as a really small country, if if it wants to succeed and do well, I think the only way we can do that is together. So there's always going to be rivalries and there's always going to be difference of opinions. But I think we could definitely um, definitely unite over a few more things, and I think that'd be pretty powerful. Um, about your how how did you end up at Grotta? Uh, yeah, through uh, through a good friend of mine, he he came to Norwich, Bjarki Ma. Yeah, Bjarki. Uh, okay, the data analyst. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. he visited Norwich, and um, he was the young guy who uh, everyone thought, "Why the hell is this guy coming? What is what does he want to poke his nose into?" He came on a club visit, and of course they threw him with the the next youngest guy, which was me. So I yeah. I looked after him for the week. <laughs> he uh, he caused a few problems in the in the nightclubs of Norwich, and yeah. I, I managed to look out for him. All right. um, and at the end of that trip, I, I became uh, became good friends with him. I visited here uh, mm. four four and a bit years ago through him. I actually went to Qatar also with with him and and Hamir, and there was the idea even of maybe uh, me joining there. They're coaching team there which uh, eventually didn't happen but again was a really good experience 
Uh, and then uh, eventually Bjarki gave me a call and said, look, uh, would you be interested in, in working in this uh, in this job? And, and at the time, to be honest, I'd kind of thought about, uh, I wasn't that interested in football at the time or coaching in the way I was. I was just a bit sick of the the environment at Norwich. It was four tough years, you know, like I said, learning, oh. working very hard, but also it, it wasn't particularly easy as a, a really young guy in that particular environment. Mm. Um, so by the end of it, I was a little bit disillusioned with with football and with professional coaching. And I think that the opportunity to come here and not only work in a nice club, but also just work in a, a nice country and with a with a different approach to things, I think for me was um, was a great opportunity. You come here uh, in the end of the year 2018, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back then, um, uh, the Grotta had a very what can I say charismatic? No. Um, yeah. Well, a coach that likes to go his own ways, mm-hmm. uh, someone who has really put his mark on the Icelandic football for the last few years uh, with Oscar Hrab. I mean, uh, what's it like to work with uh, Oscar? I mean, he is he's done really well. Oh, I don't know what it's like to work with him. I only know what it's like to drink a coffee with him, which is, <laughs> to be honest, pretty pretty pleasant. He uh, he even buys them sometimes. So, um, no, I I came after he had left, so I came at the beginning of the season of uh, the at the time Pepsi. Yeah, that season uh, I had met, of course, Oscar before. So the the time before I'd been in the country, Grotta was still in the uh, the third tier, so the second division. Yeah. By the time I was back, they were in the in the top division, so yeah. quite a, quite a journey between those two visits. Um, but of course, yeah, Oscar did a, an amazing job in in Grotta and um, has carried that on this year in in Breablik. And it was just fun to to uh, to see someone like him and and Bjerki and and Haldoradner and and the other guys, Maggie Helga, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you managed to create a culture there in Grotta to create coaches and and so on. They, I they mean, did at least. They did at least. They, I'm not they, sure they, I did, but yeah. they did. But the thing is, coming after Oscar is, uh, I don't think it's easy to come after such a big character. Um, do you many times hear it in in Celtic and it's like, ah, well, good idea, but that's not how Oscar used to do it. He used to do it like this. I think I could have probably put that on the wall, you know, just, uh, <laughs> or had it recorded and just play it over and over again. Yeah, of course. But I think that's what what happens when you you follow. Um, we come after people who are successful and that's not all bad. Um, yeah, obviously Gusti was there two years before, so, uh, you know, after him, he was there. And people even sometimes say to me now, hey, Gusti used to do this too. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things. I think um, I think if you if you want to be somewhere that's doing well and has done well, then um, you can't complain when then people reference what's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's natural and, uh, yeah, I've just about got used to that by now. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was speaking, talking about England as the homeland of, of football, creating all these wonderful talents, winning the, uh, you know, under-20 World Cups, European Championship on the women's game and so on. You feel the game is, like, rising. All the money in the world is flowing through the mm-hmm. English football system. Are there a lot of guys like you going abroad to coach? I mean, is are there endless, you know, because I can see in Grotta, it's not only you. Mm-hmm. You have mo- more English coaches with you. And I, I must admit, I would have loved it at 15, 16 to have an English coach coaching me, you know, because I would have felt like a professional then. You know, are there are there, is this a common case of... Uh, guys going away from England and coaching abroad? Until recently I'd say no. I think we were a really insular nation. Just for example, our language skills are terrible. Yeah. When you look at you guys, you, you come here, you hear the nine-year-old in the swimming pool talking English. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> in England, can you imagine walking in and the nine-year-olds are talking Icelandic? I no, mean, they I can't mean, say on. one word you, in you French. Cannot, you cannot, you know, YouTube and uh, TikTok <laughs> is not in <laughs> Icelandic. Yeah. You, get, you get my point. We, we are not uh, We are not good about other countries. We, <laughs> we want to come here and still eat uh, Yorkshire puddings or shepherd's pie and uh, speak our own language and do our own yeah. things. So in, until recently, it was very, okay, we are, we are brilliant at everything. Uh, don't listen to anyone else and stay where you are. I think the best thing for probably England, English football, at least, was losing to Iceland. Yeah, yeah. I think that's when we realised uh, everything was not as good as we said <laughs> and uh, probably humbled people or at least the football collectively and then over time I think individually once one or two people do it I think others will always follow mm-hmm. and that's obviously been players and coaches um, so you see for example Jaden Sancho went to uh, Borussia Dortmund I think that was a huge moment for English football that he did really well he mm-hmm. wasn't the first and of course he hasn't been the last yeah. but what you started to see with those players when even Musiala going from uh, Milton Keynes area and Chelsea to Bayern Mm -hmm. this was a strange step Uh, normally they would just want to stay 10, 15, 20 years ago so players started to do it and of course coaches started to do it Mm -hmm. some of it is also jobs it's hard to get um, harder to get jobs in the UK there's more people wanting to work in football Uh, there's more people wanting to actually earn a living out of it and in the UK it's hard to earn a really good living unless you're working in one of the very top clubs and even then the wages aren't aren't perfect for everyone so you'd laugh at that because there's so much money going into the game (laughs) but there's very little going into the pockets of the people working lower down uh, whether that's in age groups or in clubs so I think then naturally people look abroad and and as I say once once some people do it a few more will do it as well Um, you know in the top two divisions it's it's you it's Nenadat Ayr but Nenad has been living here in Iceland pretty much on and off for 17 years now and obviously Dean Martin who's been here for almost 30 years so I'm not even counting him as a foreigner any longer. Um, would you encourage English coaches to come to Iceland to work here? I mean, uh, you think that uh, you know it could be good for Icelandic football to get more f- foreign coaches? I think it would be good for English coaches. Yeah. Uh, r- rather than being good for Icelandic football, sure, it can help. But I think first and foremost, uh, this is a very good uh, good place for for at least myself and I think others to, to develop their coaching. Look, I'm 31 years old, developing, uh, working with a first team, coaching young players, old players, uh, doing everything from the the ground, being the groundsman to being the kit man to yeah. doing those things. Uh, and, you, you know, it's a, it's a mini football world, even doing this today. Would you be doing this if you were coaching in the seventh tier in the UK? Probably not. So I think rather than saying first and foremost what uh, what English fo- coaches could do for Iceland, I think uh, Iceland can do a lot for for English and and foreign coaches. You know, uh, when I was younger, and and you know, I'm not meaning it any in a, in a bad way. Uh, Grotta was a little bit like a Mickey Mouse club. You know, it was a, it was a handball club, and I can't remember any guys my age who were from Celtic. It was probably Indriði Sigurðsson. You know him? He he played like 50 games for the Icelandic national team and, and maybe Christian Fimbo was on the goalkeeper a few years earlier. But other than that, I can't remember any guys developing or coming from Celtic-ness. Uh, not, that I, not that I remember. But in the last few years, I've noticed uh, more and more uh, players coming from Celtic-ness. Um You actually sold a couple of players after last season. Mm-hmm. You know, Kjartan Kauri, um, he left you. And Luke as well, you know, who were your, you know, you know, uh, wingers in a four-three-three, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, you sh- can you see that happening as a becoming like a little bit of a business model, if you like? Uh, you know, it's a part of the game losing 
two or three players after each season, or or how can you see you know how can you see things with with Grotta? Could you see some players do well this year for you, and you know leave you then the, in the autumn? Yeah, I think first and foremost you spoke about the maybe what you'd experienced as a in the past uh, in in that particular area. I think that just shows you all credit to um, people like uh, Biaki, Oscar, Haldor. Maggie, all the youth coaches in Grotta. I think yeah. that, that shows that when you put your mind to it and you set really high standards and you try and work in a professional way, whether people laugh at you or joke at you or think you're stupid, or whatever it is, mm. I think it, in the end it can have a really positive effect. And I think that I've been lucky that I've followed them. I, I don't think I could have even come. I would never even arrived if it wasn't for them. But for me to do some of the things I wanted to do, I required them to have set that kind of even uh, thinking prior mm. to my arrival. So... Yeah, on that note, all credit to them. In terms of the way we are working with players, I think the biggest thing I noticed about um, Icelandic clubs is I found it interesting that n you rarely see in Iceland uh, a player arrive to a club mm. but then moves to a higher level after it. You yeah. see play them selling their own players, sure, from their youth system, which, by the way, is, is fantastic. But you rarely see someone find a player, recruit him, sign him, spend money, invest in the player, and then you actually sell him, make a profit in the short or the long term. Mm. That actually is very unusual. for. Hasn't that been Breivik's uh, thing? Definitely, and, and maybe that's why they've been been able to be successful in, in yeah. the last years, and, and maybe that's why in the future, whether they finish first, second, or third, because you can never guarantee you'll finish first, mm. but what you can do is always ensure that you're uh, able to challenge for things, uh, and that's what I think that that um, way of thinking brings it brings stability mm. i think we spoke earlier though about the fact that in iceland we don't have a mid table yeah. we just have one to 12 so yeah. what it means is you're either thinking i can be promoted or be champion or i can be relegated and need to avoid it or to be honest if you're most clubs you're thinking a bit of both you're thinking yeah. like well if it goes badly we might we might be relegated but if it goes really well we might be promoted that's crazy if you think of just the premier league as an example mm. you don't brighton fulham brentford these clubs they probably go at the start of the season thinking right we just need to make sure we're not relegated but yeah. i think they can probably be quite confident as long as they do things well they won't but they're not sitting there thinking like well if we plow another 100 million in we're going to win the league yeah. They don't think that. So what they do is instead is, is they focus more on stability, uh, developing players. And what that brings in is, is they bring in talent. It develops there. They invest money in it. And obviously, of course, then it moves and enriches the rest of the league. As you've seen with Brighton, just as an example, they've sold many players and, and they've often sold them within the league itself. So I'm not saying I'm trying to make Grotter to become Brighton or Brentford or something, but uh, it's a small club. <laughs> it doesn't have much money. And yeah. the only way we can survive and even compete is by uh, making sure that we've got a little bit of money to work with. And the best way of doing that is developing players. Isn't it, though, quite difficult to be a coach at Grotter because it's such a small community? I don't think many uh, many people don't understand that Grotter is uh, settlement is only 4,500 or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you literally, literally have the biggest football club in Iceland next door. Mm -hmm. So you probably constantly have to be trying to fend them off, like, you know, if there is a decent talent at the under 15s, under 17s, or whatever. Like, please don't go across the street, you know, 
Mm. <laughs> or, or isn't it the case any longer? I think it's changing as well in all Iceland. Right. Maybe with all the all the clubs are now looking at young players. So I don't think it is about uh, me talking about our neighbours. I think we have a lot of neighbours. Yeah, <laughs> we have maybe twenty, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and there's definitely ten of those that are interested in anyone who's as young and hungry. And I think I can speak for every single club. I think that's just something new that's coming into the the footballing landscape here. It's always been here, but I think it's becoming more and more uh, prominent that clubs, the big clubs, are looking to invest invest quicker and earlier in, in uh, younger players, both boys and girls. Uh, but I think from my point of view, it's not difficult to work in, in this community. I mean, uh, the less people there are, the less pressure. So, uh, <laughs> of course, I get some, but, but not too much. And um, that means I can I can pretty much just get on with my work. If you could just explain to me, what is Chris Brussel football? You, do you have a manifesto? Do you have like, could, could you like, if I was the chairman of Hauko and I was speaking with you, and uh, ask you what is the what is the Chris Brussel football what can you, what are you selling me I'm not sure how God will be offering me a job anytime soon but I'll, maybe I'll, we'll I'll, talk I'll, about that later I'll touch, it, I'll touch <laughs> up there but, but what is Chris Brussel football because I was quite impressed because when you, when you played my team this year you beat me at uh, in uh, in Ness and we beat you at Corinth but I was I thought it was okay this is this is a decent team we were playing Uh, feel, what's a Chris? What's a what's a Chris Russell football? I feel like everyone listening to this right now is waiting to really hammer me because they're yeah. going to think I'm going to come out and give some crazy manifesto and say I'm the best in the world or something like no, that. Please do because that's <laughs> that's the only coaches uh, you believe uh, in. I don't I, I don't think I have the confidence to do that. But I um no I think I view football maybe not differently, but at least I don't have this. Uh, I think in the last 10-15 years, everyone is talking about styles. Yeah, I play like this or I play like that. If you look at all the best teams, uh, I think they're trying to be good at every part of the game. Mm-hmm. If you look at Arsenal, just as an example, and my Arsenal fans, friends will be really happy I'm saying yeah. they're the best team. I, I think they have a style, sure, but in general, they're just being good at every single phase of the game. They're mm-hmm. good pressing high. They can defend deep. Mm-hmm. They can play in the opposition's half with the ball. They can come out from the back with the ball. Good at throw-ins, good at corners, both for and against. Do you see where I'm going there? Yep. They're not just good at one thing. I think football's changed to an extent where people are putting so much effort into the coaching process, so much effort into analysing, and the teams are now very different to t- even 10 years ago. Yeah. They're all round, basically well-oiled machines. Yeah. I think that now having a, a way of playing uh, is maybe even a little bit outdated. I think it's more about looking at different parts of the game, the phases of the game I spoke about, trying to be as good as possible at those and that's maybe where your style comes in how do you do it you can be you can be good in different ways but i don't think you can just say i play short from the back i don't yeah. kick it long yeah because if you look at all the best teams in the world they do both of those things and they do them damn well yeah so i think it's the same you can't just say oh we we don't press high we just defend deep well you're going to struggle as a team but you can't do vice versa either mm. you can't press high and then concede five goals so yeah. I think it's more about how you do those things and how you coach those things rather than whether you do them which I think 10 years ago 15 years ago I think that was really the topic of which one of those things do you do in defence and attack I think now it's no option I think at the higher level you have to do all of them yeah but but still want to know what uh, Chris Russell football I mean, <laughs> I I mean I let's say I would have be have, uh, I'm not going to name any team but let's say I would have a 300 million Icelandic uh, budget a year a summer mm-hmm. which is like a top top teams in Iceland has say probably around 2 million euros you know I wanted to know what kind of football this guy is going to play for me mm-hmm. I mean uh, are we just going to uh, aim to get throw-ins <laughs> near the opponent's goal or <laughs> what What's your style? 
Uh, I think first and foremost, uh, if I can I think of one thing, I, I always want the team to be competitive. Yeah. So I think everyone is expecting me to say I want to play some th football like this or football like that. I just want to be competitive, hmm. have great personality, great character, fight until the end. Last year, for example, as a team, we set that we would fight uh, until the very end for something. For yeah. the first 10, 12 games, we fought for the top position. Hmm. After that, probably for four or five games, we fought for the second position. And after that, for four or five games, we, we fought for the third position. So yeah. we were always fighting. I think... Um, the one thing I can do if I'm going to work this hard and the guys are going to work this hard is just put a team on the field that's uh, willing to give everything for each other and you enjoy watching because actually they're they're trying and mm. they're never giving in. So um, I think forget tactics. I think that's the first and the biggest thing for me is uh, is personality and character. Um, after that, I think it's about being good at those things I spoke about. Being good at all those things. I think uh, I'm not saying we were, by the way, because we weren't for sure. Um, yeah. And maybe it's impossible to be good at all of them. Um, but I think I really enjoy coaching. I really enjoy the process of making people better, both younger players and older players. And I think I'd like to think that when you watch uh, a team of mine play, um, you'll at least see a team that's uh, that trying to be good um, at all parts of the game. And you can see some improvement week in, week out. Uh, three at the back or four at the back? I'm going to say it doesn't matter. I mean, I, maybe I prefer one to the other, but I think yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It's about what you what you then do from those things, how you coach it, how the team plays. Again, you can you can press high really well with three at the back. You can press high really well with one at the back. To be honest with you, what's your preferred system? Uh, it again, it depends on the guys I've got. But right now, I have guys who probably fit more. Uh, playing with with four in the back, for example, playing with someone behind the striker. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's quite funny. It's like uh, as if I would never play with two big strikers. Well, uh, give me two Erling Haalands and, and sure, I'll, I'll play four four two. You know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but but Icelandic football pretty much for the last twenty years um, has been four two three. You know, the teams who have been successful mm -hmm. have mainly been play, playing four two three. It, I think it originally comes here in Iceland, maybe from. I would think from Norway, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, real successful st style of teams in Iceland. Yeah, I would say most of them have been playing four-three-three. Yeah, I think think last year, for example, I played with four-three-three, um, and then uh, later in the season played uh, with three-four-three. But that was more because of my best players or the most uh, influential ones in the game. Maybe best is a little bit harsh on the other guys, but the most influential players, of course, were Kertan and Luke. Yeah, uh, and the key then became about um, okay, maybe we played the game not as I always wanted to play it. Yeah, um, but they are players who thrive more in chaos than control. Yeah, uh, they are players that maybe don't want to give uh, 500 passes a game. They would rather there be 250. Yeah, uh, and they want to attack really big spaces and defend quite small ones. Maybe I view football the other way around. I'd rather <laughs> attack you know really small spaces and defend big ones. But they're the guys I've got and. Um, I think then the way of doing it was making sure that they got in those positions as much as possible to attack big spaces, uh, create goals, score goals, uh, and of course, um, at the end of the day, try and win us games. But that doesn't mean I would always play like that. It's just no, um, you've got to work with the guys you've got and you've got to make sure you make them better and, and make them play in a system that works for them. Now you've lost those uh, skillful wingers and now you've got a big man up front, so we can expect some crosses going to come in at uh, in Grota this year. Ivan isn't that big, so uh, Pete's got to get himself in the team first <laughs> before he worries about being the big man up front. Yeah. Um, no, no, it, it, definitely good question. Uh, I think um, that's also been quite exciting for me. That's the kind of thing. That's like I just said to you. I, I really enjoy coaching. I think that's the, the thing I love most. Just the, mm. the coaching process. Um, I don't always enjoy the other things that go along with football. To be honest, I just quite enjoy coaching and, yeah. and making the team better. And that's been a good challenge for us. But um, I think we've got some really uh, talented players with a lot of potential. You can see that in in the group. 
Um, even the older guys, in my opinion, have a lot of potential. And that means that we just got to find a way that suits them. But I would say this year the team is more suited to the way I'd like to play football um, than it was last year. But that's natural. I've been one year in the club. This year I was able to choose more who I recruited, etc. Um, and, uh, of course, then it makes it easier for me to play as I'd like. With you being this young, you probably have the same interest as the players. I'm <laughs> boring. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, 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 but listen, I mean, when I was a player, I wouldn't want my coach to be some sort of a friend. You know, the relationships back then were just a very different. The health minister of Iceland was my coach. Mm -hmm. So, he, you know, okay, he, he wouldn't well. go for a pizza with him. <laughs> Or, you know, uh, Lauki was at uh, Akureyri now and Bjarni Jo and all these guys. They were my coaches back in the day, Ole Christians and all them. You didn't want to have any cozy chat with them or anything. You mm -hmm. know, you just would say hello to them, uh, you know, sp speak a little bit about uh, how the games in the Premier League went in the in the weekend and then you would just run into the uh, into the room. I mean, you know, you being so close to their age, you know, probably with a similar interest, listening to the same music and so on. I mean, is that uh, good or, uh, you know, is that uh, some new modern way of you know being the boss or, or whatever <laughs> i think it's different both yeah. for, both for me and for them i i, I can happily admit sometimes uh, i've been pretty insecure uh, yeah. like I, of course i'm going in and i'm speaking to guys like you say who are close to my age so um yeah i'm, I'm not i've even told them sometimes and laughed about it i was like wow i've got to get used to this or <laughs> got to do this but uh that's also that's also fun i think uh I think, again, it really depends on, you still draw lines, you still do things in the right way. I'm, yeah. I suppose I'm lucky. I, like I said to you, I look about 15, but I probably act about 50. Yeah, so right. in that sense, maybe my uh, maybe my interests distance me from the guys. I am, of course, really close to them. But I think that um, I always hear in, in England, everyone says you could never be friends with your players. I don't understand that quote. I think that only if you're friends with them and then you act in a certain way is that a negative thing. Mm. I don't think there's a difference between being friends and being close and well connected to people. Yeah. And I think that anyone would agree that to be, you speak about those coaches you had in the past, not in Iceland, but maybe abroad. Um, and I think that when you look back on it, you might, uh, I don't know what you think, you can disagree with me, but had you been more connected to them, had you been uh, more able to chat to them and discuss with them things about football and life, mm. maybe that would have actually got more out of you in the long term. So I think the key, of course, is is having standards, having a line. I think mm. you set those and, and personally, I don't find it difficult to do that. Um, but at the same time, making sure that also you, yeah, you're compassionate with people. I can't be the guy who goes in and screams at everyone. You know, <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. see that now. Uh, so my only way of being a football coach is by actually talking to people. If not, I, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm struggling already, but I'd be done. You know. But let's say I was the backup goalkeeper. I'm a 19-year-old, and I'm like, let's call Chris and ask him if he wants to go to Avengers Six with me in the movies. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'd probably say yes. <laughs> it depends if you kept a clean sheet the week after. I, I'd go with you for sure. All right, that's, uh, but. But that's not how the relationships back in the day was here in Iceland. We, you know, I would rarely speak to my coaches and, uh, you know, I would listen to them criticize me or, you know, giving the odd compliment. But rather than that, you know, you wouldn't discuss anything like outside the football much with them. Yeah, I think everyone has to find their own way, don't they? Like yeah. I say, if maybe when I'm 50 years old, then uh, I won't be able to sit in the room one-on-one uh, -on -one and talk with, with my players. Maybe I can just go in the changing room and scream at them and shout. Mm -hmm. Right now, that's not something that I can do it. Maybe uh, once once or twice, I think people think they, I do it every week, but I definitely don't. Uh, you can, uh, I, I can tell you that. <laughs> But what it does allow me to do is maybe uh, talk to them more on an individual level. And, and that's how I, I like to work. And especially with the, 
guys I'm coaching, both young and old. I think that works really well. I've been uh, talking a little bit about the finance, of, uh, about the salaries of coaches in Iceland and so on. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to drag you into that one, but one of the things I found missing when I'm speaking to young coaches is I very rarely find someone, I meet someone who wants to go any further. Like mm-hmm. I meet so many 15-year-olds who think they they're going to play for Bayern or, or, or something like that in the future. But I rarely meet coaches who tell me like, hey, I'd love to go abroad and do this and do that and yari 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 and, and have, have uh, these ambitious, uh, ambitions. So what is, what is yours? What, where would you like, like to be in you know, 10, 15 years? Uh, would you like to be a coach here in Iceland, the top team in Iceland or, or Scandinavia or going back to England and get a job there? Or where can you see yourself uh, uh, going? Oh, well, first of all, I need to earn some money, so hopefully I can just keep keep a job in football. That's uh, that's yeah. hard enough. Yeah, it's uh, very hard. And there's four thousand people in Celtic, and this could uh, could come for me if I if I don't <laughs> if I don't do well this year. Yeah, I mean, I I, I know how it is. I've I've uh, I've been I've, I've you know, whenever you uh, send a coaching job, you know, into LinkedIn or whatever, mm-hmm. you're going to get endless. Uh, yeah, true, true. So, so there's a lot of lot of unemployed coaches. I know, I know about that. But the best ones are employed. No, I think. Um, look, I've, of course, there's also the short term. I, I'm genuinely uh, really enjoying working where I am. I'm, I'm also uh, improving a lot. I've made loads of mistakes, and um, that's also pretty cool. Uh, just to be able to do that and and learn from them and improve. I like that part of it. Um, and I also don't want to seem like I'm the guy and uh, and all the other guys around me coaching are rubbish because uh, at the end of the day I'm on the same level as as the guys in my league, uh, guys below, guys above. But if you said to me, would you want to go and coach somewhere else in the future, um, higher level or something like that? Yeah, sure. Why not? I think it would be, um, as you can tell from this chat, I, I like coaching. I really yeah. love football. Yeah. And um, I think anyone who likes those two or loves those two things is going to want to work a or try their hand as um, a good level as possible. But I wouldn't say I'm sitting at home at night thinking like, damn, I should be in the Premier League tomorrow. I definitely, uh, yeah. maybe my ego is a little bit big, but it's not that big, I promise you. I'm <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty humble on that one. I just think uh, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing. And um, yeah. I also know that uh, I'm definitely not the best things in sliced bread. Well, um, you talked about mistakes you made. I mean, I remember when you came to Corin um, to play my team, how cow lost there uh, convincingly. No, uh, it was a, it was a, it was an evenly balanced game. Um, I just remember driving home from that game, and you know, well, just like fairly happy, won, won the game and so on. And uh, then people told me about you know some altercations you had with uh, the stuff at Corin and so on, and, and did uh, you know made the made the news here in Iceland. Yeah, you know, yeah, I remember well. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I didn't even contact you to get any uh, words from you because uh, you know I just couldn't believe what was going on because uh, I had seen you and you know I thought like, you know, that's an easygoing guy. But uh, what happened there? I'm not sure. I'm always easygoing. Probably. Yeah. yeah well, you, you, look like you look yeah, like it. You look like it. Look like I'm. De- uh. I, I'm, de- I'm not going to come on your uh, your show and pretend to be the angel. I'm, I'm definitely not that. But uh, probably made two mistakes. One was to upset the club with to, who's supported by the biggest dog in the in the media. Yeah, <laughs> that was absolutely. Probably number one. <laughs> uh, and then number two was probably to uh, to leave, uh, let's say, ammunition lying around. And I think that I probably learned a pretty good lesson there. If you leave leave ammunition lying around, then uh, expect people to to fire it at you and. Um, I think a more experienced person uh, would have yeah. just come out the day after and said, hey, 
what just happened there was stupid, ridiculous, uh, yeah. and put it to bed completely. Of course, maybe the club and the federation could have also done that, uh, but it didn't happen. So instead, as I say, that ammunition was lying around and, and probably still is until the day, to be honest with you. Uh, and then always, of course, as I say, people are people are going to fire at you and. Um, of course, I don't have uh, a reputation or much no. experience. So what people do is is then form an opinion based on what they know, which is is basically that one story, uh, which is probably not the most ideal. But uh, look, the the incident itself was uh, was silly. Uh, I spoke to the referee after the game on the field, and and he told me to to wait and speak to him after which it was I thought I was doing the right thing if I'm honest with you I thought it was better to speak to him after than speak on the field or speak in the media I think that's the correct yep. thing to do yep. um, and <laughs> it, that didn't really happen and I ended up waiting to speak to him and, and in the meantime managed to get myself in an argument as I said with the uh, yeah. With the staff of the other team, which uh, on my part was was foolish yeah. and, and stupid, so um, I think I learned a lesson not uh, in terms of being fiery. I think that's probably going to always be me, but I think I definitely learned a lesson in uh, not uh, not putting something to bed and, and clarifying it uh, rather than uh, leaving <laughs> live ammunition lying there. And uh, yeah, I got shot a few times. All right, um, about this year coming up, I mean. Uh uh, obviously, the top league, and uh, you are obviously playing top league teams uh, every week here and now, and you know when Linky began and so on. What's the best team in Iceland at the moment? I think uh, I have to say Breivik, just based on the fact that they they won the league last year. What makes Breivik a good team? Uh, I think it's a, a mix: good players, uh, well coached, well organised. Oh. Um, physically, they're they're very strong. Uh, technically, they're very strong. And as I said, there they're they're very well set up, and um, I think also what they're they're going to do al- along with Vikingar, I must say, is is they're now used to winning, they're now used to competing, mm. uh, and once you get in that habit, both on the field but also off it, uh, in the locker room around the club, I think it's a very good habit to have. Give me a team in Iceland that might surprise me this year. Is there any yeah, challenge in my knowledge here of Iceland? Yeah, yeah I am. You, I know you you were invested in this in uh, every day. <laughs> That's all you think about. So. Uh, what what team has has there any team this uh, this winter like what do you thought like yeah I think they're better than most people think you mean in the top division yeah uh, in the top division I, th- I think the top division is uh, again is a, an interesting one that to be honest I was surprised we played Vikingur last week uh, I knew they would be good but I was surprised at the physicality yeah thought the physicality was on a, on another level to what we we're used to. Uh, to be honest, it was a, a very competitive game, and we, at the end, were disappointed to, to lose the game. However, their their level of, of physicality, particularly, was just uh, it was yeah. something that you don't see in at the level we're playing at. So, I think that both of those teams weirdly might surprise us in terms of the levels they can go to if they can push on to yeah. another one. Yeah. But that's a big if because uh, I think both their coaches and, and clubs would agree that that going to another level is a tough thing to do. Yeah. But I think if there's two people that can do it, it's probably them. Um, and then below that, I think it's, it's more of a case of who wants to surprise. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the coaches really well, um, but I know that there's a lot of teams around between third and and ninth and tenth, yeah. and maybe even Filke and Halko who come up, you know, who are going to say uh, we could get a shot at finishing in that top six. Yeah. Um, so I think that those teams, I think it's going to be about which of those can really. Um, maybe uh, look through the noise and look through the one or two ups and downs that will come uh, and really kick on. Yeah. What do you make of the new system at the uh, Lengjudelden in, in your league? Grota is obviously in this what we will call B-League, Serie B. Mm. Um, you have this new system. You have playoff system in the end. Only one team gets automatically promoted. So uh, you come from England, so you're used to the playoff system. 
is that is that good? Is that uh, is it good for the game or is it good for the fans or the excitement or? Let's maybe we should record two and we can play whichever one I give based on whether we get in the playoffs <laughs> or not. Um, but no, I think firstly uh, the the maths behind it isn't particularly smart. Yeah. Because if you think, okay, there is a playoff in England with four teams, but there's 24 teams in the league. There's a playoff in our league with four teams, but there's 12 teams in the league. Yeah. But the playoff is still the same size. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which says to me that probably mathematically there has been a slight miscalculation or they uh, they aren't bothered about that and they're more bothered about just having four teams in. I think excitement-wise it's a, a, an okay idea. I think fairness-wise it's probably not and that's not because I'm saying we're going to finish second and we're going to really be wronged. I just think that if you look at the league over the past yeah. years, I think that the gap between second and fifth, hey, you are yeah. a big Halcar fan, as you've told me, and um, I don't think last year you'd have been too happy if you'd have lost out to the fifth-place team. You wouldn't have been oh. too happy if you lost out to the third-place team, which was us. Oh. So I think that part of it um, could have been considered slightly better. Personally, if I was uh, in charge, which I'm definitely not, but if I was, I would play third and fourth against each other, and then I would play the winner of that game against the tenth position in the top division. Yeah. And I'd probably play that game at the National Stadium. Yeah. So I think that would be a really way of uh, igniting people's energy around things. The top teams will not like me for saying it at all, the idea. Um, yeah. And they'll be glad that I'm, I'm nowhere near being in charge. Um, <laughs> but I think that something like that might have been a smarter idea than, than playing second to fifth. But it is what it is. I think uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot to talk about at the end of the season. And hey, if um, my team sneaks in the fifth position and suddenly goes up, I um, yeah, I'll come back on this show and say I think the idea was fantastic and we should carry it on. What do you uh, just in the in the end? You know, uh, what do you make of the level of the Icelandic kids now, like from 15 to 19? Are there good kids coming up here? Can you can you identify maybe uh, one or two for me, or is it like uh, it feels the the discussion in Iceland is always around? We don't have any players doing anything in the top six divisions in the in Europe right now, and you know we have a good national team, I think, but uh, you know I feel like the discussion is cool you know not like we're not producing like we used to I think there are very good players yeah maybe uh, the the thing is is that they're all playing in, in teams which is great they're getting a lot of experience mm. playing in sec, uh, second division I talk about as our division first division sorry the top division that's my English thinking coming out um, so yeah there's definitely very good players there's not many other places in the world where you, you get lots and lots of 2003 2004 2007 mm. uh, in my case playing in the team that's pretty rare Yeah, um, it's now a case of, of what those guys can do I think one thing I love about um, the Icelandic uh, young young guys and girls is they're very hungry to improve mm. They and that maybe is because they're not gifted at all at a young age are they hungry or are their parents hungry for them to improve no I think I think that's a little bit of a, a narrative that maybe is, is harsh on the, on the kids I yeah. think they are very hungry to improve Um, I think that again that if I go to my own country England hey uh, there's many parents in those academies that are desperate for their children to become professional footballers yeah. so uh, pressuring parents is, is not a new thing or it's not. It's definitely not an Icelandic national tradition <laughs> put it that way um, it, I, I think there's there's a lot of young boys and girls who, who want to improve uh, want to get better and I think that's actually pretty amazing to see they've also got a real hunger they're a little bit naive in some ways I think when you get to 17, 18, 19 in the UK if you've been in an academy system mm. unless you've been the top top dog mm. I think by the end of it you're just you've been hit it's like you've been hit by a bus yeah <laughs> you're just like this is you're demoralized yeah. I think the cool thing here is is that 17 18 19 a lot of those young boys and girls are actually really enthused and they're open-eyed and they're mm. raring to go 
but of course what they might find hard is is when they make and if they make that next step mm-hmm. whether they can deal with the setbacks that comes because those guys that have been hit by a bus yeah hey once you've been hit by it once you may be able to jump back up again yeah and if you do get hit by it again maybe you don't even go down yeah. whereas i think that that's the one thing we might struggle with is that uh, you're successful you go into your first team you score goals you do well you do this and then suddenly at 19 bang mm. the first bit of adversity hits you and and that can be a really tough moment but if you're asking me are there exciting players in this country for sure are there players that can play in higher divisions for sure mm. and then it's all about whether we can develop them who's the best under 19 you've seen in Ireland? <laughs> you don't want to give names uh, does Christian count or yeah. I think um, of course I'm going to say that but I think he has he has something unique as a footballer just because uh, when you watch him he does things that you don't expect to see Christian L- Linson. Yeah, Linson. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. he does things that you don't uh, you you, d- you don't think t- to do them yourself. You can't coach a player like that. You just put him in the right positions and let him do his thing. Yeah. Um, but again, there's a mix. If you just use, for example, Ore, who was in Grotta and, yeah. and now is in oh, was in FC Cal. Yeah. He's obviously physically really strong and has lots of attributes. I'm just talking about two players I know, but yeah. you can see they're physically powerful, wants to score goals, really exciting, technically good, really mm. smart, also really exciting. So. I think it's not about us having or Iceland having one good player. It's about that there's actually many and it's about how we help those, uh, again, boys and girls reach a level that maybe they can do. It's tough, but um, it's possible. Did you rec- recruit those English coaches and the Welsh coach that are at Grotta right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. one one I knew and, and the other two uh, I didn't, but I, I just needed, uh, needed coaches in certain positions. Um, with those guys I think uh, they've also really really enjoyed being here and of course they're grateful hugely for the opportunity to just come and work in in first team and and youth football but they're also experienced you know one's played for Swansea one's worked a long time in Africa and China Mm. Uh, the other one worked a a lot in Norwich when I was there so what I also know with those guys is that they're really really hard working Um, they've got great uh, standards and they're good people uh, and also they know what they're doing and I think that's um that's not because there's not Icelandic coaches like that, but it's no, like I, mean, I said earlier, there's 50 clubs or something, so <laughs> you've got to find your coaches somewhere if, if you want them. Has any other club contacted you helping to maybe recruit English coaches to their club? Uh, if, I wouldn't say necessarily English ones, but I think uh, our, our neighbours were, were interested in the idea, KR, and I think they've gone down that route um, in this yeah. in this pre-season. I believe yeah. he's the Danish... Norwegian. Uh, Norwegian, sorry. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think they... they they didn't discuss it with us what they were going to do, but they, I think they wanted to know maybe how, how we felt it went with us and also how we did it. So uh, I think every club is going to be interested, like they're interested in having good players. They're going to be interested in having um, enthusiastic, hungry and, and qualified coaches. And I think that the first point of call is always going to be Iceland. But as I said, there's a lot of clubs. And yeah. if you can't find them here, then I, I don't see a harm in, in looking elsewhere because I think that can also only in, enrich our uh, our system and our environment. I thought it was very, very funny that you said that the uh, Icelandic parental, uh, parents are are not a unique thing because it happens all over the world. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Astley Williams incident where he puts his... Is other parent in a headlock? I haven't. I haven't. No. Oh, he's arguing with somebody on the on touch lines, and he's this big centre back for yeah, yeah. Everton and Swansea, and he just throws him in a headlock. And uh, while they're fighting, so one guy told me, he said, like, if you think Icelandic parents are a problem, 
I need to take you to South America. <laughs> he said, like, in South America. Do you America. want to go? <laughs> yeah, I want to go. You never want to go to South America? Oh, I'd to love it. I would yeah. love it. I've, seen, I've heard about some English coaches going there. Michael Beale went there. Yeah, the, he the did. coach. But let's, I, don't think I, could, uh, I don't think I could wait for any referees there. I think I would be, uh, I think I would be, <laughs> wouldn't be some bad comments in the media. I think I would just be uh, taken out into the street and hung or something like that. So yeah. I, uh, I think I'd have to be very careful. Yeah, you need to be a little <laughs> bit more careful in, in Brazil. No, but but uh, it's uh, it, there is this uh, discussion in Iceland that uh, behavior of p- parents in Iceland is a massive problem, but you know it, it's a universal. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think in in general, uh, Icelandic parents are just really supportive and enthusiastic, and uh, that's the same for English parents and even yeah. maybe the Brazilian ones. Um, but you're always going to get um, one or two incidents. How much how much time of the week do you spend speaking to parents on the phone? Uh, now none because all I do is coach the <laughs> coach the team and to be fair right, it was always good because I could always say I didn't understand Icelandic and um, yeah. on my very best English accent and that would mean the phone calls were quick but yeah to be honest with you I never had problems with, with parents and um, oh. now I don't have of course I coach quite a young team or a lot of them are, are young yeah. uh, but again I deal with them basically all directly mm. and I think their parents are just very supportive and uh, and friendly, so uh, maybe I haven't seen the the dark side yet. No, maybe you no. need to take me there. <laughs> what do you make of uh, you know? There's a popular sport in Iceland, gymnastics. Mm-hmm. They don't allow parents to watch their kids practice. It's just forbidden. Mm. Um, they just say like, "Hey, I want to watch my kid here." Sorry, it's not for you. It's for the kid. In Iceland, we have this culture of watching every training session from our kids mm-hmm. would you would you be uh, recommending that we do not allow uh, parents into the into uh, trainings I think you've got to think that I'm not a parent myself but if I was I'd probably really want to watch my son and daughter play sport uh, yeah. and I think that again you, you can't uh, punish the, the many for maybe one or two actions of the few yeah um, so in that sense I'd say that you, I've got to be a little bit careful that I don't say parents are the enemy because parents are the part of sport they're not yeah. separate to it yeah. at the same time I think it's something you, you can consider about maybe it's always about how you get the parents involved if yeah. someone's enthusiastic and someone's negative or talking or you know communicating a lot with you at least they're interested Yeah. so I suppose then it's about how you deal with that particular person rather than just brushing them off yeah. labelling them as a problem I think maybe we need to address more okay this person is enthusiastic but in the wrong way or slightly yeah. misdirected can we actually channel that enthusiasm into the right way it won't always work by the way uh, but that's you can at least try I, I don't think it's a bad idea to have one or two tournaments for example we had the same in in the um, in Norwich where I think we had a tournament where it was behind closed doors Yeah, it was interesting the children of course were a little bit different they acted differently Yeah, um, we even did one without coaches all right. Uh, we had maybe one supervisor, but they mm. didn't have coaches. So of course the children then are going to act differently, and um, sometimes then you learn a little bit about <laughs> your impact as a coach or a parent. Yeah. But in general, I don't think um, anyone's the enemy. I think we've just got to try and make sport work for for all of us and and make it a little bit of a better place. I always felt when I was a goalkeeper coach and I had uh, parents sitting there watching the whole time, I was probably over coaching in a way. Mm-hmm. I was like explaining everything so much, and I was very animate, uh, you know. I, I was probably acting more like a, like I was doing some super work. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I was very busy with, with all kinds of show yeah. off. I know the feeling. Yeah. I, yeah. So, and when the, the parents weren't there, we would just do it regularly, and I think it was much more effective and. 
and better better training. Maybe that's also about having um, again. I'm I'm not the only uh, young young person coaching in Iceland. I think actually probably on a youth level at least. I'm sometimes I feel like one of the older ones, mm. and I think that when you have have young people, it's always they're always going to find it difficult to deal with someone maybe double their age, yeah. telling them that uh, they should do it like this or they should do it like that. Yeah. And I think it's maybe more about again. You spoke about uh, parents having an impact on children. I think like you've just said there also maybe they have more of an impact on on the coaches and i would say that the coaches need when i say protection i don't mean they need body armor or something or <laughs> yeah. they need to be locked up but maybe they need to feel the confidence of of those superior to them and um maybe they need a little bit more support in in dealing with those situations because i think coaches should if they coach as they want to and as they should do i think that can also make the the football better here i have an idea for you if you want to look older Start wearing a sixpence. <laughs> I don't want to go all peaky blinders on you, to be honest with you. I definitely don't. I can't pull that one up anytime soon. <laughs> you always look a five, six years older if you, if you wear one. Hey, hey, next Chris, time. Next Chris, time. It, was, it was great to have you. Uh, it was, I enjoyed it a lot. It's great to speak to uh, somebody new here in the Icelandic football community. Uh, it's a small world here in Iceland. Um, Oscar came in fresh a few years ago from journalism. Arnar Gunnlaugsson came in fresh. Maybe five, six years ago where he was a real estate investor and all kind of, uh, you know, investments just came ba back into football. So a, a real, you know, breath of fresh air. Um, we are used to gymnastic teachers being the, the co football coaches and some of them have been great, others not as good. And you coming from the, the motherland of the game, <laughs> the inventors of the game, just remember who won the game just remember <laughs> yeah well yeah you 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 started it all and uh, i have such a high my belief in english football at the, these days with the with the talent there the top talent i don't believe there's another country that uh, matches the english uh, when it comes to top young talent today it doesn't matter what you know everywhere i look it's the i think the best young ones are coming from from england you know your 15th choice right back would probably be a right back in most. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Aroman Bissaka would be playing in almost every national <laughs> team, but he can't make a make the squad in, in England. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's a, you know, just to give an example of uh, what an amazing job they're doing up there and uh, can see them win the World Cup in 26. I won't <laughs> hold you to it. I won't <laughs> hold you to it. Hey, Chris, good luck with Grota and... Uh, you know, you want to get promoted or you want to develop players? Uh, why can't you do both? Yeah, do both then. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you.